We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. In the hands of Waiters, three seconds left for three in the win. Yes! Welcome to the Rotowire NBA podcast. It is Tuesday, May 25th. We are presented by WinBet. Uh, WinBet is, of course, the presenting sponsor of the podcast uh, throughout the NBA playoffs. Really glad to be partnering with WinBet. Uh, Alex, we took last week off. Uh, I was on a, a brief sojourn to South Carolina, um, kind of hopefully, you know, timed it out well um, and was able to, uh, you know, do it during a downtime, uh, relatively at least. Uh, during the NBA season and, you know, was still able to keep up with what was going on in the play-in games, uh, but got back just in time for the NBA playoffs. I did miss the end of the Bucks game, game one on Saturday. My flight out of South Carolina literally took off two seconds after Jimmy Butler laid in the game-tying layup. So I was able to stream <laughs> that. I'm like, I'm like frantically sweating on the, on the back of this plane, like sitting right behind the, the like engine or propeller or whatever it is. Um, just like, partially worried about whether or not like it's dangerous that the plane is this loud and partially sweating out this Bucks game. So I did not know what happened in overtime. I knew the game went to overtime and not until I landed back in Chicago a few hours later, did I see that Chris Middleton hit the game winning jumper with, you know, under a second left on the clock. Uh, but that's old news at this point. Um, you know, the, the way that the NBA playoffs moves, obviously these, these games have uh, such little shelf life as, as it, everything progresses night to night. Um, we're recording this, Tuesday evening, 
late afternoon into evening. So we won't go super deep on Lakers, Suns, Mavs, Clippers. Um, and what, what's the third game tonight? I'm completely blanking. Uh, do you say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Celtics Nets. We won't go. Th- we won't go too deep on those. Uh, we're not going to turn back the clock and, and analyze game ones that happened a few days ago, uh, or give you like 15 minutes to listen to this before those games start. Uh, but we'll catch up with those series later in the week. I, I do want to recap. Uh, I think we have to start with Milwaukee Miami uh, last night, which you know I you and I put up an article uh, over the weekend, um, kind of going back and forth on some of the bets that we liked, and and one of mine was uh, under five and a half games for this series. And and my thinking was that Milwaukee would be the team that would close it out. And they're on the way to doing that. We'll see, you know, very good chance. Miami's able to take at least one as the series shifts now to South beach. But man, I, 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 I like the way Milwaukee was able to, to pull out game one. It certainly felt like had they lost game one, the series could very easily turn the way that it did a year ago. But you know, the way that they were able to come out in game two and basically put that away within six minutes of, of game time and never really looked back was extremely impressive. It was, I mean, you know, as a Bucks fan or someone who, you know, is a Bucks optimist, like you, after such a bad three point shooting performance in game one and still being able to win that game, the assumption was like, even if Jimmy Butler has a better game, you know, if the Bucks shoot better from three, it just should be a win, you know, kind of based on what we saw in game one. And both of those kind of went to the extremes. Like Jimmy Butler had another, you know, just like down performance. He was four for 10 bucks go 22 of 53 from beyond the arc. And it just, it it gets out of hand quickly. I think the bucks scored like 78 in the first half. Um, Yeah. I mean, this is, I wasn't expecting this, you know, I, I, I'm someone who you mentioned the bet earlier, you know, over under five and a half games for the series. I would have bet the over if you made me um, just because I thought given the history of these teams, you know, it, it was hard for me to imagine uh, a five game series, but now it's, I mean, I, I think the bucks really have the the heat on their heels here, especially since like you, I mean, the, the heat just can't get going at all offensively right through these first two games out of bio uh, Jimmy Butler I, they're both under, I think, 35% shooting. They just, like, and when those guys aren't able to get their points, it's, like, as much as Goran Dragic is fine, you know, it's like Tyler Hero is not playing up to his standards from last year. Duncan Robinson got hot from three in the first game, but how many times is he going to do that uh, exactly again? Um, yeah, I think I think the Bucks. this is firmly in the Bucks' grasp right now. Absolutely. I mean, I thought Adebayo last night had some like Draymond Green moments on offense where he's just throwing the ball up and hoping that it bounces around and goes in like he has no confidence offensively. He doesn't look quite as physically dominant, I thought, as he did for most of the playoffs last year. Um, you know, he looks more like the BAM that was kind of hobbled in the finals, I thought, where, you know, he's still a, a great player and still one of the two or three best options Miami has. But he's just not really asserting himself, I, I think in the way that Miami obviously needs him to, to crawl back into the series. You know, he's not blocking shots. He hasn't been the same guy on the defensive end. I did think he did a really good job overall on Giannis in game one, making him uncomfortable, forcing him into, you know, a lot of kind of contested fadeaways, um, getting him to the line where he, he, I think barely eclipsed 50% in game one. He was better there in game two, but yeah, this was just a, an absolute blitzing. And you know, normally when a team has a crazy first quarter where I think the Bucks had 10 threes, right, in the first quarter? Yeah. I think yeah. that's right. Um, you know, normally, like, at some point, the team makes a run, and all of a sudden it's down to 14 or it's down to 12, and, 
you know, you're starting to call timeouts and you're getting a little nervous. Like that never happened in this game at all. And part of it was because they built a 26 point lead at the end of the first quarter. That's a tough lead to blow. But like at no point did Miami outside of Dwayne Dedman, I should say, we need to, he's exempt from all criticism. This was a fantastic effort from Dwayne Dedman off the bench. But outside of that, like there was not a single time where Miami even threatened to make this a game. No, it's like, you know, they're, they're doing a good job on Giannis too. Like you mentioned, Giannis is only 44% from the field, but they just, they can't keep him off the offensive glass. Yep. He's got 12 offensive rebounds in this series. You know, the Bucks have, they're, they're getting a little more comfortable kind of playing Giannis like a big man, like they've done throughout, you know, a lot of the year mm-hmm. so far. And it's really paying off, I think right now. Um, and even like Drew Holiday is one for nine on threes. Brooke Lopez is one for seven mm-hmm. on threes. Those guys haven't recovered from their, from you know, their, their struggles in game one from, from beyond the arc. And you figure like those guys are bound to, you know, uh, get back on track. Right. I mean, Giannis himself is one of 10 from three. Right. Yeah. And, and you can maybe say the same thing. Like Heat fans will say the same thing. Well, Jimmy Butler is not going to keep shooting 25% from the field. You know, he, I mean, he's going to shoot better than the 64% from the free throw line he's been doing, but I mean, both, you know, Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo and Kendrick Nunn, who are the top four field goal attempt guys on the team right now, are all under 35% from the field. And that is rough. Heroes at 20%. And I understand those are bound to bounce back in some way, but you don't get those low of numbers in the NBA just through like two games of just poor shooting on like open jumpers. That's like game plan. They are, they're stymieing you. Yeah, I mean, with Butler in game one, it's like, if you want to write that off, that's fine. I mean, he took 22 shots. He obviously didn't just didn't have it in that game, and that was that. And in some ways, you know, it's hard to pick apart a box score of a game that was completely over by the end of the first quarter. Like, you don't want to read too much into it. But at the same time, I mean, the window's closing here. Like, you know, Jimmy Butler, if, he, if he's going to bounce back, it has to be in game three. And, it, you know, if Miami's down 0-3 after that, it, it's pretty much over. Um, you know, I, I think the Bucks have done a pretty remarkable job of getting the bench going, especially in game two. Yeah. We mentioned all the poor shooting for, for Giannis, for Lopez, for holiday, for even DiVincenzo, who's been low key, really bad in these first two games. Um, You you can't expect to get 11, three pointers out of Pat Connaughton and Brim Forbes, especially on 18 attempts uh, on a nightly basis. But if those guys are giving you five or six makes and, you know, guys like holiday and and Lopez and, and perhaps Giannis are, you know, progressing toward the mean, like the, the Bucks shooting performance overall wasn't overly remarkable. You know, they're 22 of 53 from three point range. That's 41%. That's not going to happen every single night, but this is a team that takes a bunch of threes, has a lot of guys who are comfortable shooting threes. Like it, it's not crazy that they could make, you know, 15 to 18 threes the rest of the series with, with the way that some of these guys I think are due. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, Forbes, I mean, Forbes is someone who like practically shoots every time he touches it. Right. I mean, that's kind of like a, that's just he he's when he's hot he's great when he's cold you you just take him out and yeah you mentioned DiVincenzo who I mean I felt like last year he was kind of getting exposed in the playoffs too this year again it's it feels like he's not doing that great that's something you know I mean long term the the Bucks might have to figure out I mean (laughs) you know they try to trade him right I mean it's not exactly a secret Mm. um but yeah I mean he very much backed into a wall like the only player I get the only two players who have not had issues so far are Goran Dragic and Duncan Robinson. Yeah. Other than that, the rest of the team is is really in a tough way. And Dwayne Dedman. 
Can't forget Dwayne Dedman. Uh, I was yeah, watching sure. the game last night with my girlfriend, and she she posted actually an interesting question that I, I at the time was like, I, I need to remember this for tomorrow. She was like, I, wait, I thought the Heat were really good. How did they get so bad? And I, I, I think that's a good jumping off point to ask, was was last year, you know, assuming that Miami doesn't jump back into the series and all of a sudden, you know, it's, it's Heat and six, um, you know, if this keeps going the way it goes, was last year an aberration? Was this year just a weird year with the bubble and, you know, a team that never fully coalesced? Like, it felt like kind of half the league was in that spot. Like, how do we judge this Heat team versus what it was able to accomplish last year? That's a great question. I mean, I, you know, you kind of see the memes going around on Twitter about like, you know, the Heat being bubble frauds or something of that extent, right? Mm -hmm. And it's, it could go down that way. I mean, I, I think we, you know, there, there's been some evidence that, you know, shooting uh, was way up in the, I mean, sh- shooting was up in the bubble, just percentage efficiency, the whole thing. We saw like that whole, even you can, you can almost just take the entire series between the Jazz and the Nuggets between the Donovan Mitchell and Jamal Murray performances as like one series to encapsulate how insane the offense was yeah. in the bubble last year. And I think to some extent, like, the heat, the heat may have benefited from that. And I don't, cause I don't think anything, nothing really changed that much. Right. I mean, they lost Jay Crowder. That's the, that's the thing people are saying, like it mm-hmm. caused them to struggle the most. And that's not that big of a deal. Like Jay Crowder's good, but that's not the difference between like NBA finals yeah. and this. He he was 0 of 7 from three in game one against the Lakers for what it's worth. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, he does other things too. He's a decent rebounder. Yeah, He's a good defender, but yeah, I think in general, I, I I think they may have really benefited from the bubble, mm-hmm. and now you know they're in a more natural environment, and they just aren't the team. They, I mean, they just aren't a they aren't a conference finals team. I also think making the finals boosted their profile and kind of made everyone forget that they were the, the what number five seed in the East last year going into the playoffs. Like, I think they were like one game above the six seed. Like, they were not. You know, they, it's not like they were this dominant team for all of last year, really, until they broke through against Milwaukee in round two. Like, I, I don't think a lot of people took the Heat as like a serious title contender. I, I think everyone expected Milwaukee, maybe not to roll over Miami, but to certainly to win that series and keep progressing. And as soon as Miami won that, it, it kind of flipped the entire narrative, I think, on their season. So like comparing them in the regular season last year to Miami in the regular season this year not all that different. You know, the win percentage is is a little bit lower, like two or three games difference this year, but you know, with all the with all the COVID stuff and the injuries and the way the schedule was put together, I, I don't I don't know that that's like a, a perfect one to one comparison. But I think this team was is pretty much the same team in the regular season this year that it was last year. And like you said, the one thing that's different was the bubble situation a year ago. Now you're back in a you know more normal quote unquote setting, even if you only have 50 percent fans in a lot of these arenas. So we'll see. I mean, as it shifts to Miami, you know, I don't know how much of a difference playing in front of a crowd actually makes I've, I've been pretty impressed i think with how how palpable the crowds have been uh, how much they've come through on tv despite the capacity restrictions like for the most part i think it sounds like a, a full capacity crowd i don't maybe they're playing with the dials on the audio but at the same time that's also not going to account for a 34 point beatdown in game two you can't blame the crowd for that no and i i mean some of it too could just be everybody talks about you know the lakers of the Lakers, you know, they only got 70 days off between the seasons, mm-hmm. uh, the two seasons or whatever. I feel like that 
discourse is not happening with the Heat for some reason. Do you get also get that vibe like everyone's talking about? Well, the, all the Lakers are exhausted. Yeah. You know, all they do it. But with the Heat, everyone's like they're kind of just underperforming. And I feel like right. it doesn't get brought up that they, you know, they're they, the Lakers were playing somebody in the NBA Finals yeah. and they played the same amount of games. No, that is true. Like somehow because they lost the finals, it feels like they like didn't play as many games. Or, or something. <laughs> right. no, you're, you're totally right. Like that, that does get brought up in the Lakers context. And maybe it's because the Lakers have had some higher profile, longer term injuries, you know, where you can if, if people are kind of scratching for a reason for why this happened, you know, it, it's pretty easy to say, well, LeBron, you know, wouldn't have tweaked his ankle if it wasn't for the bubble or, or this wouldn't have happened to Anthony Davis if they weren't playing in the finals. Whereas you know, Miami's had guys in and out, but they haven't, you know, they haven't been these longer pronounced injuries like the Lakers have had. Right. Yeah. And they kind of just missed some guys at the beginning. Like they got hit yeah. with the coronavirus stuff. So what's up guys. Are you looking for a new contest to play during the 2021 NBA playoffs? If so, try fantasy fives, new free to play NBA contest. It's simple. All you have to do is pick one player to beat their fantasy point target from each of the five games. If all your picks are correct, you can win a share of the $5,000 jackpot. Other guaranteed prizes are also available if you finish atop the weekly leaderboard, including an official NBA kit. Make the NBA postseason more interesting. Go to fantasy5.com today. That's fantasy, the number five.com to enter your picks today. Blazers Nuggets, game two of that series last night, you know, kind of a an inverse of what we saw in game one, which was close throughout, you know, Denver even controlled it at times. And then, uh, you know, Portland turned it on in the third quarter and, and never really looked back in that game. And, and this one was kind of back and forth early on as well. And this time it was Denver that, that jumped out more so in the second quarter uh, than the third and, you know, was, was able to just continue piling up points in the second half and, and get to 128. They held Portland to 109 uh, in this game. Uh, put Denver put up 42 in the second quarter. Um, you know, Damian Lillard got his, it, it seemed like they were semi-okay with that. Uh, he had 42 and 10 in game two, but CJ McCollum, you know, an efficient night had 21 points, but only took 12 shots. I think if you're Denver, you're really happy with that number only got to the line two times. Um, you know, Denver took 13 more field goals than Portland in this game. And, and the Blazers turned it over 21 times. And honestly, that was, you know, 21 seems high. I mean, watching the game, I, I feel like it, it didn't quite seem like they had that many. Um, but I mean, defensively, this was a, a really impressive performance from Denver, which I felt like the, the Nuggets got pa- kind of punched in the mouth in game one. And I had no idea without Jamal Murray, no idea how this game two was going to go. And all of a sudden now we're back to even, you know, heading to, um, you know, heading to Portland for game three. Yeah, I was, I, I took the trailblazers, uh, in our handicapping the NBA article for our, our picks. Cause I just, I mean, Partially, I just think they're going to still win the series. So I was I was fine betting on them to win game two. But yeah, I mean, the the, to- the turnovers, when you turn the ball over nearly, not nearly twice as much, but I mean, 21 to 13 turnover, you know, differential, that's, that's pretty rough. Like there, there's not a ton you can do. You have to, I mean, you really do have to kind of catch fire offensively to make mm-hmm. up for that. Um, you know, because the rebounding was pretty similar aside from that. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think, you know, we have to credit, you know, uh, Michael Malone for kind of countering with a game plan here because we, you know, very much understood what Portland was trying to do and just not let Jokic pass. And he still only, I think, had five assists in this game. Um, but he was he was able to score a ton. And yeah, I still think I still think Portland's talents too overwhelming in the long run. 
but this is this was a really great game for Denver to have, you know, at least just from a confidence standpoint. Because uh, if they were to get hit again, you know, in the same way they did in game one, um, especially if Jokic was limited passing again, I think that would have been that would have been pretty rough for them. Right. I, I mean, Denver, without having Jamal Murray, I, I don't know if either of these teams like this is the series. I think I I just have no clue what's going to happen. And and I think Atlanta, New York, uh, which we'll touch on in the east is kind of the same way. Um, you know, game to game, I feel like my opinion of how things are going to go is just going to swing wildly. But yeah, I, I don't, I don't know that either of these teams have what it takes to come back if, if they were to fall down 0-2 or fall down 3-1 later on in the series. Like, I, I think this is going to be one where it could easily just go every other and then, you know, kind of toss it up for game seven and, you know, whichever team's able to pull it out is, is going to advance. But I, I don't know. I, it's, I, it's just really tough to get a read on this series. I, I think Portland is the more complete team right now because there's no Jamal Murray for Denver. But at the same time, you know, we saw Joseph Nurkic. He was in foul trouble this entire game, only played 25 minutes, fouled out early in the fourth quarter. And at that point, you know, the game was was definitely heading toward a Denver victory. But that sealed it. At that point, I mean, it was it was Jokic was able to get whatever he wanted against Enos Cantor. So you have a an already like fairly shaky starting center in Joseph Nurkic. And once he fouls out, you're bringing in like one of the notoriously worst defending centers of the last two decades. And beyond that, you have no other options. Like they don't, they don't just have like a Dwayne Dedman that you can throw out there and just, just be a body and, and go get some rebounds and block some shots and, you know, pick up some fouls. Like, I, I think if that's kind of the one kryptonite maybe for Portland is, you know, you have some bodies, I guess, that you could throw at Jokic, but neither of those guys are really equipped to handle an MVP caliber center who can beat you inside and out. All right. Portland could have really benefited from having Mark Gasol, you know, like yes. I think that would have Just a third guy in general. Yeah. Yeah, third right guy. Out. Yeah, right, exactly. Because you mentioned it. I mean, Nurkic, Nurkic is very important for this series. Him basically not getting in foul trouble. He doesn't even have to play that well offensively because they've gotten this far without him playing that well offensively all season. He just needs to rebound and he needs to just stop Jokic from, you know, from playing bully ball essentially. But uh, yeah, when he fouls out, I mean, it's curtains to some extent because I mean, you know, Cantor certainly can't guard. Jokic straight up and you can't double Jokic. You know, everyone knows that. Yeah. I, the, Portland was minus 14 in Cantor's 18 minutes and they play the Nuggets even in Nurkic's 25. And I, I mean, that's a one game sample. I don't think it's always going to be that way. You know, certainly Jokic is capable of exploiting Nurkic as well. But I mean, I, I think Lillard at this point is just going to get his no matter what. I don't really think it matters who's around him, who's fouled out, you know, who's at center. Um, McCollum for the most part is the same way. I, I think this was somewhat of a down game for him. He had five of the 21 turnovers, very uncharacteristic. Um, but that, that really is going to be the swing position for Portland. I, I think you, you kind of know what you're getting with Norman Powell at this point, you know what you're getting with Robert Covington. I, I think we're beyond the days of expecting anything more than like seven points and maybe a couple threes from Covington. Like he's kind of all defense at this point, you know, it's, it's going to come down to Nurkic and if he's fouling out early in the fourth quarter, and scoring seven points on two of eight shooting, you're probably going to lose that game nine times out of 10. Yeah. I mean, the Nuggets, I mean, they're, they're guarding CJ McCollum and Damian Lillard with Austin Rivers and Campazzo, mm -hmm. right? So, I mean, you expect Lillard and McCollum to combine for like 60 points every game. Yeah. Um, it's just kind of a matter of, you know, the other guys at least chipping in. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't expect, I mean, I don't expect Powell to, uh, Paul had a decent game, but I don't really expect Mello one for five. That's pretty rough. He's not going to do that every game, right? He'll have a better game than that. But um, yeah, Lillard and McCollum aren't going to have any issues in this series. 
Yeah, I mean, you look at Portland's three-point shooting in game two, it's 16 of 33, 48.5% as a team. You know, they shot 48% from the field. You feel pretty good about those, but then you look at it, it's like, okay, Lillard and McCollum are accounting for virtually all of that production. I mean, they had 11 of the 16 threes. They both shot efficiently from the floor overall. Um, you know, like I said, I, I think the Blazers are the more complete team, but at the same time, it, much like Denver at this point with, with some of the attrition that they have, like the Portland bench drops off pretty quickly. I think I, I like their, their top six and that yeah. six guy has kind of rotated for now. It's, it's mellow, you know, slash canter. Um, but beyond that, it's like, you know, Anthony Simons played really well in game one, didn't give them anything in game two. And, you know, Derek Jones Jr. was starting for a lot of this year. He's out of the rotation. Nas Little, kind of the same thing. Rodney Hollis Jefferson had his moment early on. Like, they probably need at least one of those guys, you know, Simons being the most likely, um, you know, to, to really step up. And, and if Simons can, give, can go like three of seven from three in 19 minutes off the bench, like that's huge for them. I agree. Yeah, they, they definitely need like a seventh guy because I, I mean, they're they're obviously committed to Carmelo as a sixth guy. And I don't hate that. It's it's less than ideal. It's more mm-hmm. he's more of a name at this point. But yeah, Simons, Simons would be huge for them. Even Derek Jones, you know, um, like yeah. you mentioned. I think they're contractually obligated by Jordan Brand to play Melo 20 plus minutes every single game. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Which, too. As a, this whole situation has worked out so much better than I ever thought it would. When like, it feels like he's been with the Blazers for five years at this point. Like it's it's crazy to think that. I think at the time that he signed, I was like, oh, he's going to sign like a non-guaranteed deal and be out of there in three weeks. And it, it's actually worked out pretty well. Yeah, I mean, for the most part, I mean, it's, it's a lot of... Uh, Melo's end of career arc is a lot smoother now than there. There were a lot of other scenarios where it was much less smooth than this. Well, I mean, Houston and OKC Melo, I, I think they might just wipe that from the historical record. Yeah, I mean, that that really felt like the end. Like there were some desperate moments in there. I mean, he was he was, you know, another season. He was another season away from like begging for jobs on Twitter. I, I hate to admit this, but I, I know like five or 10 years from now, I'm going to purchase a Carmelo Anthony Thunder jersey. It's going to happen. It's like the, <laughs> the idea has just like been in my brain and like there's really nothing I can do about it. Is it going to be one of those that like weird blue uh, Thunder alternate with like the white stripe on the side? I don't even. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I don't know if they like use those like the vertical year. lettering yeah the vertical yeah I, well I, see i always try to be careful like if i'm gonna buy a jersey and I, I i know it's like embarrassing that i'm still even like thinking about buying jerseys at, at this age um <laughs> but I, I i think of it as like a collection at this point it's not like yeah. i'm wearing these all over the place but 
it has to be one that the player actually wore, right? Like I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't buy a, I don't know, like a LeBron James Miami Vice jersey because he never wore it. I'm, I'm with you on that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I just want to make that clear because I, a lot of people who I've seen out in the wild wearing jerseys um, don't seem to understand that, and it's, it's just something that you know us in the jersey community, um, you know, we, we need to kind of be gatekeepers. You need to start a dialogue about that for sure. <laughs> um, so I, th- I think we're heading toward a Bucks Nets collision course here in round two, and you know we'll we'll see. Milwaukee Miami is far from over. Um, you know I don't I don't want to call curtains on that one by any means. I'm 100% sure that the Nets are going to beat the Celtics. It, it did feel to me that I didn't really think that the Celtics had any chance to steal a game in this series. But looking back, you know the fact that they held Brooklyn to 16 points in the first quarter. Uh, in game one, they led that game by six at the half. And ultimately, the Nets turned on the Jets in the second half and, and were just fine. But I, I think that was probably going to be Boston's best chance to get one, you know, unless the Nets just no show one of these games in Boston coming up. But but either way, I think we're heading towards Bucks, Bucks Nets in round two. And I want to ask you, if, if you were to handicap that prospective series right now, assuming everybody's healthy, you know, both teams, you know, move smoothly through the rest of round one, what do you think would be the most likely series outcome so you can give me your answer like what you think will happen or you know if you were at the you know the win bet sports book um you know what what odds you would throw out there for the most likely outcome like which team how many games so i think i think it'll be between nets and six and nets and seven okay that's exactly what i wrote down too i think you're right and i think a lot of that is going to just depend on how dominant the Bucks and Nets look in the next in their it, to to end the current series. Sure. Like if if the Nets, because I think I think if the Bucks sweep Miami, and it's embarrassing for Miami, mm-hmm. and if the Nets win in five, like they they just drop one against the Celtics, I think it becomes Nets in six. But I think if the Bucks drop one and the Nets sweep, then it's Nets in seven. Like I, I think it's I think it's pretty dependent uh, on on who looks dominant and who ends up dropping one of these games between the mm-hmm. two. Personally, I think regardless of outcome of these two series that are going on right now, I think it should be Nets in six. Uh, I still believe in the Nets talent being way too overwhelming. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, even though the Bucks are better, I just it, it's it would be hard for me to say this is this is a seven game series. Right. So I, I think we're on the same page for me in order of likelihood. I think it would be Nets in six next Nets in seven Bucks in seven, but Bucks in six. I, yeah. I think that's probably right. I would be tempted personally to throw uh, Nets and five in there. I think I'd go Nets and six, Nets and seven, Bucks and seven, Nets and five. Like I, I don't think there's a chance Milwaukee wins that series in five, but I do think there's a chance that if the Nets arrive like really locked in, and you know Kevin Durant looks like at the at the last time we saw him at his peak, which was what the 2019 Finals or or even the 2018 Finals, you know like when he was you know at the absolute peak of his game with great players around him. He's an unbelievably hard player to beat. And when those other two players are Kyrie Irving and James Harden, um, even a team like the Bucks that I, I think actually matches up fairly well uh, against a team that has three future Hall of Famers about as well as you can. Um, you know, we'll see how much time Giannis spends on Durant. Uh, obviously, Drew Holiday is, is pretty comfortable guarding either Kyrie or James Harden. And, you know, you have Middleton, you have Tucker. Like, I, I kind of like on paper the matchups that Milwaukee can throw out there, but the problem is all three of those guys are are virtually matchup proof at some point uh, when it comes to getting their shots off. Like there's, you know, you could throw, you could, you could be Drew Holiday, who every player in the league says, you know, like I hate when this guy guards me. But to me, that that doesn't mean that all of a sudden James Harden's going to average 15 points a game in that series. 
Right. And yeah, it's, you know, we, we've seen Giannis do a decent job on Durant when switched on to him. I mean, he blocked his jump shot in that, in that yeah. last bucket. That was a shocking moment. Game. I've never seen Durant get blocked like that. It, it was a shocking moment. Um, but again, I'm not sure how much time Giannis will actually spend on him. I mean, I'm kind of interested in how much, you know, Giannis at center the Bucks go to. I mean, he averaged like 40 points in those last, in that, in that, uh, that two game series against the Nets. Yeah. And he was taking like 30 shots a game. And he was just like, first game he abused DeAndre Jordan. Second game he abused Blake Griffin. Um, and so, yeah, I'm kind of interested. I mean, maybe they'll go for Lopez in the post more. I, I agree with you that there are some interesting, you know, aspects of it. And I think the PJ Tucker acquisition was, it was for this series, mm-hmm. it, it feels like. Yeah, I think this series or a potential Philly series. I, I think at the time, you know, either of those matchups were were well in play. I I mean, if, you, if you're the Bucks, how do you attack that series? Like, are you, are, do you, like, would you use Giannis more on the block? Are you like, are you trying to get him in a, a one-on-one situation where he has Brooke Lopez or Jeff Green on his back instead of Giannis, you know, trying to attack a Kevin Durant 25 feet from the basket? Because my, my main concern is if, if you're going to put him on Durant for, let's say, 75% of the time, that he's out there, I, th- I think you have to expect that he's picking up a few fouls. And at that point, like if I'm Bud, I'm, I'm very worried about, you know, how, like how many offensive fouls is Giannis going to pick up? He's gotten better at that over the years. Um, but I, I think the Nets know that they don't, they don't really have a matchup for Giannis inside. And I, I think the strategy might be like, look, if, if you, if you have nothing to do here, either wrap him up and put him at the free throw line or go down and, and hope that they call something. And we get four fouls on this guy early in the third quarter. Yeah, I mean, I I think for the Bucks, the game plan should just be to just hammer the Nets inside, and yeah. with so with Giannis, that that would be like a lot of Giannis, you know, basically like maybe you can get James Harden in the action, you know, uh, whoever's guarding James Harden runs the pick and roll, Giannis rolls to the basket, get Giannis on the block, mm-hmm. um, get him in his face up game, kind of like he was doing against Blake, uh, and just do that, and even like Drew Holiday can get inside. I mean, Holiday is incredible once he gets into the paint. He can, right. he kind of, he plays like a big almost when he gets in there. Um, yeah. So I, I think, I think that would have to be the game plan because you're not going to outshoot them. You know, Giannis coming downhill. I think they would still put the wall up. I, I yeah. don't even, the, the more Giannis goes downhill, it's, it's almost like the less I like it. Cause you mentioned the offensive fouls for him. Those are, those are too much. They're too easy to call yeah. when he has a full head of steam, you know? Right. And, when, and he draws it. He gets a ton of charges called on him. I almost feel like more like, 80% of the time, it's legit. Like, there's a lot of them that are kind of 50 50 uh, when you watch basketball around the league. But, uh, like, being as big as he is and taking as long of strides as he does, like, more often than not, I feel like it's the right call. He's just a little bit out of control. Yeah, that's the whole thing. And so, it, that's a much harder call to make when someone, like, faces up and doesn't yep. have a full hack of steam. And there's a lot more just, like, shoulder to shoulder, just kind of banging. So, yeah, that would, that would be the game plan, I think. If I'm Milwaukee, too, I, I think. You know, it's enough of a burden to try to slow down, especially Harden and, and Kyrie with, with the backcourt uh, on the offensive end. But I, I think you have to make those guys play defense, too. And, you know, that means not settling for a ton of threes, you know, not just pulling up in transition, not, you know, calling for one screen and just, you know, taking a long two, which, you know, Chris Middleton is, is one of the best in the league at that. I'm not saying you can't take any of those, but, you know, running those guys through actions, like having Bryn Forbes come in for four minutes at a time and just run baseline to baseline or, or get ahead in transition and like force Kyrie Irving, especially I, I think to care on the defensive end and expend energy 
on that end. Because if, if those guys are able to, you know, spend 95% of their energy on the offensive end, I, I don't think there's a way that Milwaukee could win that series. I, I think the, the, the amount of top end talent for the Nets is just too overwhelming. Right. I, I expect them to switch the Nets. Um, but then you have to punish them for switching, you right. know, and the Bucks actually have the personnel to do that between Giannis Holiday, who I mentioned can play bully ball. Chris Middleton can back guys in and shoot like 12 footers that go in every single time. Brooke Lopez, you know, obviously like he's not, he's, I think he's worse in the post than people realize, but if he's got someone who's like, you know, if he gets Kyrie on him, that's, he, he'll, he'll make that. I think part of the issue here for the Bucks is I, I, like we mentioned at the top, I think PJ Tucker plays an important role in this series. Cause I'm yeah. a little worried. I don't, I don't think you can play like that Brooke Lopez drop coverage against this team that no. much because they're just going to fire from three every single time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if, if it's a pretty even minute split between Tucker and Lopez. Right. I mean, I, I think there are some advantages to Lopez, but it, especially if he's not shooting the ball really well, uh, those advantages dwindle pretty quickly. And, you know, and, and the, the Nets also probably aren't going to be playing a traditional center for him to match up with um, for most of this game. And, you know, he can guard Blake Griffin. He can guard Jeff Green. Um, you know, Nick Claxton's been kind of in and out. Um, he's at least taken a lot of the DeAndre Jordan minutes. But, you know, ideally, you're matching you're matching Brooke Lopez up with the DeAndre Jordan type. And I, I think having Tucker as an option is, is going to be huge. I would be pretty surprised if both teams, and especially Milwaukee, don't really tighten up the rotations for this series. You know, I, I think if you're the Bucks, you, you probably want to be playing... I mean, knowing Bud, they're probably going to play eight or nine guys. But, I mean, I, I think you want you want six or seven guys playing the vast majority of your minutes, maybe even six. Yeah, I mean, if you are, yeah, if you're Milwaukee, I you have to consider taking out the Congaton minutes, Yep. I think. I think you have to consider taking out. I, I think you put Bryn Forbes in no matter what because he can just swing a game when he's hot from yeah. three. I think, I think you're alternating Forbes and DiVincenzo, and I, I think you're probably slashing DiVincenzo's minutes a little bit. Yeah, and I think Portis deserved to get in there. I mean, there because there are a lot of games, in my opinion, where Portis plays better than Lopez. So yeah. you have to you have to be ready for that possibility too. Of just like if if Portis is playing better than Lopez, you just got to put him in there. He's also a significantly better three point shooter than Lopez at this point. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I think Lopez has Lopez has the reputation. Like, I mean, Bobby Portis was one of, one of the most efficient three point shooters in the league this season, and and Lopez still jacks up a ton of threes, but. I mean, he, he really has not hit them at the same rate. Like two two seasons ago, 2018-19, was his like Draymond year where it was like 37%. He's hitting everything. And then, you know, it's been 31 and 33 the last two years, which it's it's still nice to have a big man who who is a threat from three. But it's now gotten to the point where like that's all he does. And he's just not shooting it at the level that his reputation would imply. As a Bucks fan, I've become less and less impressed with Lopez over the past two years. Um I think he has, yeah. I mean, and Portis too. I mean, Portis, this isn't like out of nowhere for him. He's 38% for his career on threes. You know, he's not like a volume guy, but he, I mean, he did 36% last year. So, you know, I think there's going to be some, you know, like I, I feel like they'll want to play Lopez at least 20 minutes just because he's just organizationally. I don't know yeah. how it would go over if you play Brooke Lopez like 14 minutes a game in a series, but I, again, I don't think we should be surprised if Porgus is out there a lot more than like the casual fan would expect. All right. Do you have anything to say about the Philly Washington series? If not, we'll move on. I have very, I have very few thoughts about this one. Uh, I think, I think Washington, that game one, that was their chance. 
Yeah, I think that was it. Philly looked yeah, that, kinda... that felt a lot like Boston Brooklyn game one, yep. where I, I didn't really give Washington a chance, but all of a sudden, like halfway through the game, you're like, I, I guess they could pull this out. Yeah, I think Philly and Brooklyn were both just like, how little can we try and still win this game? Yeah. And you kind of experiment with that, and I think it was a success. So I think the series is pretty much over. Yep, yep, I feel the same way. Um, I, I, I almost, I think Washington's more likely to steal a game from Philly to me than, than Boston is from Brooklyn, but I, I think both of those will be over uh, pretty quickly. Let's go to let's go to Memphis and Utah. Awesome game one. Uh, obviously, no Donovan Mitchell. That was kind of the the Paul hanging over that that entire game, and that that story has just kind of gotten stranger and stranger um, as as we've gotten more details. But he will be back for game two. That obviously changes things a ton for Utah. That's a huge boost. You're getting your your best player, um, by far your best offensive player back. Um, at the same time, there were some concerns, I, I think, in game one that, and, and like for as great as Donovan Mitchell is, like he's not LeBron or Durant or Harden or Steph Curry where, you know, the, the team just t- like falls apart when that guy's not there um, because you're, you're usually the team is so dependent on that one guy. And, and obviously they struggled without him, but you know, throughout the regular season, you know, they were able to sustain uh, pretty well without Donovan Mitchell. And, you know, there's, there's still some debate as to like, you know, who is truly the more valuable player between him and Rudy Gobert. And then all of a sudden you removed Donovan Mitchell and this was a disastrous game one for Utah. I mean, the final score was only a three point spread, but I mean, Memphis came out and, and outscored Utah by 13 in the second quarter, um, you know, kept pouring it on in the third. And it was, it was just really kind of strange, I guess, to see Memphis control this entire game uh, pretty much for from start to finish, or at least for the last three quarters. Uh, yeah, I wasn't expecting it, although I was expecting Donovan Mitchell to play. Um, and I, I do kind of wonder how much of a distraction that was for for Utah, because by all accounts, it was like he was going to play and then he didn't. So that was. Did I you were you we, watching the uh, TNT pregame show by chance? I was not. I, I did not. <laughs> it was like a mini like Ernie Johnson was like insisting that he was playing. And then Charles Barkley was like, I don't think he is. And then they both were like, wait a second, like did I get bad information? And it was just like a super awkward TV moment that you never see. But that speaks to how weird this was. Like Ernie Johnson is insisting on live TV. No, Donovan Mitchell is playing. And you know, those who are apparently Ernie had not been on Twitter in the last hour because that's where it broke. Um, I, I don't really want to get into Donovan Mitchell versus the jazz medical staff because you and I have no information on that. That's not already out there. Strange situation, no matter what. Um, but I mean, the Jazz are in a hole, and and they can certainly climb out of it. I, I think most people would expect them to climb out of it, but I don't know. I I just feel like they they looked worse than they should have for not having Donovan Mitchell. Even if everybody expected to have him until an hour or two before game time, I, I I still feel like this team, you know, it's just kind of one of those classic like regular season teams where you 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 plug and play guys, and it doesn't seem to matter who's out there. A lot like the Bucks the last couple of years, where even if Giannis would miss a game. The, you know, the show would go on and they'd still be blowing out teams night to night. Um, I, I kind of expected that to still be the case for Utah. And then I, they just looked a little more rattled than I thought they would. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. And I think, I mean, some of this too comes down to Memphis, again, has it continues to do a good job of limiting turnovers and doing great on the offensive glass. Like they won both categories, yeah. which isn't necessarily something you would expect against the Jazz, right? Like the Jazz have Gobert. And we talk about how great they are as a team all the time in terms of, you know, the the great playmaking, the lack of mistakes, but they just got beat on both of those parts of the floor. 
Mm-hmm. And when that happens and they're cold from three, they're just not the, the recipe to win a game. When you lose those three categories, yeah. it's like, it, it's, it's nearly impossible. Um, well, but Gobert yeah, also he, followed out of this game too. And, well, he did. And that's, that, that's noteworthy for, for defensive purposes. But you know, at that point it, it obviously was a loss for Utah, but it's not like you're, you're sitting there like, Oh man, how are they going to, how are they going to crawl back into this game? They don't have Gobert to score. You know, it's like, like obviously they could have used him late in the game when, when Memphis was, was able to get bucket after bucket and close it out. But um, it was, it was just such a strange, strange game one. And I think Memphis also deserves a lot of credit for the way that they've closed, not only this game, but against golden state as well. And, and a lot of the games down the stretch that have mattered for them, like, I mean, Utah was able to, to climb back into this game late. You know, Bogdanovich was hitting a ton of shots. And every time you would think like, okay, this this young Memphis team is, is going to cave. You know, they're, they're going to commit a turnover. They're going to take a bad shot. Like, it just never happened. They, they just keep getting good shots. They keep making smart plays. Um, you know, I, I don't think, I, I don't know if they're just like a little bit underrated or, you know, people just haven't watched a lot of the Grizzlies this year. But um, it, it didn't really feel like the Jazz just like threw this game away. Like, I, I felt like Memphis kind of took it from them. Yeah, I mean, I've I've continued to be really impressed with the with the Grizzlies. I mean, I've watched their you know from the regular season, the last regular season game on. I've I've watched their games, and um, yeah, despite not being like a great three point shoot, like they just they maybe they're one of the teams who just like they know exactly who they are, right? It feels like every single player on their team knows their role. Morant continues to like it be insanely impressive given his like lack of a three pointer. Um, you know, just hit his quickness, his ability to hit those floaters. Valanciunas is still like unbelievable in the role that he plays. I Dylan Brooks has taken a complete step forward. Like he is, he is kind of the definition of like a playoff player, right? Like in the regular season, like he obviously plays good defense and he, you know, he does take some ill-advised shots and you look at the advanced numbers and you're like, is, is Dylan Brooks even that good? But then when you see him turn it on a hundred percent, you're like, oh, like, you know why, like, you quickly understand why the Grizzlies give him the minutes that they do. Like, he is so integral to what they do uh, on a game-to-game basis. It's it's crazy. Yeah, the rise of Dylan Brooks is one of the more improbable um, scenarios. I never would have thought this coming. Like, James and I have made fun of Dylan Brooks so many times uh, on the pod when we were discussing him as a prospect because he was he was just such a gunner at the college level. He, he showed up to the combine. Like, I remember his arms were, like, two inches shorter uh, than his height, which is usually like a horrible indicator for NBA success, especially on the defensive end. And that's, that's the most surprising part. Like everybody knew he could get buckets. Like, I mean, I, I don't think I ever thought he would score 31 points in a, a playoff game against the one seed. Um, but for him to kind of turn into this like low key defensive stopper who was, you know, credited with slowing down Steph Curry in the playing game and, you know, doing a really good job, um, you know, on the jazz backcourt in game one, like that, that to me is, is the most surprising thing. Like, I, I think we all knew he could score, but the fact that he's turned into like a, a very plus defender at this point is shocking to me. It, it, it really is. I, I was not expecting it, but, and then, I mean, and Jaron Jackson hasn't even had, like, he's been good in some ways, bad in others. He's, he's very like, uh, he's, his stock is very up and down right now. Right. But if he can if he can find some sort of stability, I I, I don't think Memphis is going to pull the upset. But their their momentum is uh, is is crazy fast right now, and the Jazz are uh, the Jazz are already on their on their heels. Yeah, I wanted to bring up Jaron Jackson because he was a glaring negative for Memphis. I thought in this game as well as in the playing game that they won 
against Golden State. I mean, he's a minus 19 in 24 minutes of this game. And he was benched, I, th- I think, like early in the third quarter against Golden State in the play-in for Xavier Tillman. And Tillman played virtually the rest of the way. Like Jack- Jackson did not play in the fourth quarter or in overtime of that game. And-, and credit to him. He was up cheering, you know, didn't seem to bother him whatsoever. But, I, I mean, it's not the most encouraging development. Um, I- I'm more than willing to just chalk it up to a guy that missed, like, almost the entire regular season um, you know, while recovering from that that meniscus tear. Like, I don't know what went on with that rehab that took like way longer than your typical meniscus tear. Like I, I thought he would miss like the first two weeks of the season, not the first yeah. four months. Um, so there's, there's a chance that it's just rust that he needs to shake off. But I mean, I, he's somebody like, we're going to be doing a, you know, kind of an early way too early. I should say uh top 150 for fantasy next year. I have absolutely no idea where to rank Jared Jackson because, you know, not only are there, you know, mounting injury concerns, um, you know, now it's like, he really doesn't really look like himself since coming back. And even before that, he was just such a weird player to project, you know, this like high scoring, high volume three point shooter who also blocks shots, but doesn't rebound whatsoever. And, you know, doesn't really pass. Like he almost had like a, a Brooke Lopez type of stat profile. He does. Yeah. I, it's, it's, it is a little similar to that. And I think, I mean, he's been pretty good defensively at least. I mean, he still commits a lot of fouls. But since he's returned 14 games, 1.6 steals, 1.1 blocks in 23 minutes, he had three steals and one block in this game. Mm-hmm. But the shot the shot hasn't really been there. I mean, it's 29% from three since returning. Uh, it just the part of the problem is, is his, his shot form is so bizarre that it when it doesn't go in, you're like, of yeah. co- like, of course. Um, but yeah, he's a he's an interesting player. I, I like him long term. I think he's going to have a good career. But there are definitely some parts of his game, like the fouls, especially that that he needs to kind of iron out. All right. So like like I said, I don't want to go too hard on um, Clippers, Mavs or or Lakers, Suns, just because we're probably going to feel very differently about these series uh, in in a matter of hours. But um, how do you see these these playing out? Like, obviously, we'll 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 put kind of put this on the record for posterity, because most people will be listening to this, you know, after these game twos are played. But uh, let's start with Lakers Suns. Like, how how do you feel uh, about Game Two if you're the Lakers? Um, it, it feels like such an obvious bounce back spot for Anthony Davis. I, I think he has to bounce back by default. I think he played. Uh, what I was on the record um, talking to no one, uh, just to myself watching the game. I thought that was the worst that he, I think I've ever seen him play in Game One. You know, the amount of passivity, the lack of urgency, um, just the general weakness. I guess going up against DeAndre Ayton, like getting beat for offensive rebound after offensive rebound not contesting shots at the rim, settling for bad shots. It's hard to imagine Davis plays like that again. Um, my bigger concern for the Lakers is, you know, does LeBron still have the ability to just, you know, throw the team on his back and do like a 38 point, 12 assist, 13 rebound game if they need him to, you know, to avoid an 0-2 hole? Because the LeBron we saw in game one is is not all that different from a lot of the game one LeBron performances where he eases into these series feels things out, usually doesn't take a ton of shots, does a lot of facilitating, but I he I thought he looked a little heavy. Um, I, I don't think he seemed all that interested in taking advantage of matchups against guys like Jay Crowder or McCall Bridges, you know, getting to the rim, settled for a lot of jumpers. Um, I don't know, it, it the the lack of urgency for the Lakers, it, it seems like they're still in this mode of like, hey, we're the champs, we're just, you know, we can turn it on, we're going to beat anybody when we want. I, I, I think they've earned the right to act that way and play that way, but you have to realize that, you know, the two seed Phoenix Suns are not last year's play in winner Portland Trailblazers. Like, I, I don't know if you can get away with that for too much longer. 
I agree. LeBron, since basically since he's been back or since he made his initial return, he does seem like a guy who's playing injured. Uh, yeah. Like it's a lot of standing around on the perimeter. Even when he's posting up, it's not that physical. Like he just goes to the turnaround fade. Um, and this is something like you you notice more. Like if you've tried to play a basketball hurt before, even like pickup, you're just like, yeah, I'm just going to kind of hang out. Yeah. It feels like LeBron is doing that. And to me, I don't, this isn't a must win for the Lakers, but it's close to that. They need to at least come out with some energy. Him, LeBron and Anthony Davis. Because mm-hmm. if they're sluggish again, game two, they get beat. Um, it's going to be tough. It, it really is. I, I just, it's hard to imagine, you know, the, the, the sun's dropping like the the Suns dropping four games after that, after the going up right. two oh like they're 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 too like you like you just said, they're too good for that. Yeah, for me it's almost less about the Lakers and more about the Suns being a really good team. Like you you just can't get away with throwing away two or three games in a series against a team of this caliber. You can do it against the Blazers of last year, you can do it against last year's Rockets and just, you know, calmly win the next four and it's no big deal. But I mean this is this is a finals caliber team I think in the Phoenix Suns and if they get past the Lakers they're going to have a, a pretty nice path to potentially represent the West in that series like I I think the Lakers need to respect the opponent and I, I don't think they did that in game one um, and I, I think what's frustrating too for the Lakers is they played horrifically I mean I, I think that was like a like a D plus C minus performance for the Lakers overall and they still had a chance to win that game like multiple times the, the Suns just kind of went on these runs where they couldn't score uh, they only they only got to 99 points in a game that it felt like they dominated from start to finish. So like even after all that, like there was a point where I thought the Lakers were actually going to win this game, and you know they they just could not hit shots. Um, so it, it to me there's there's a lot of points to look at, but you know the shooting is is the number one thing. And I, I tweeted this out during the game. Like there's a lot of complaining about Andre Drummond you know playing at all or playing over Marcus All, and, and obviously Anthony Davis took a lot of heat for the way he played. But I think the Lakers' biggest issue, and and to their credit, they had the same problem last year and were able to overcome it. But their biggest problem is their quote unquote like shooting specialist guys are not good shooters. Like Wes Matthews, 0 of three in this game. KCP, one of seven. Uh, you know Dennis Schroeder, not exactly a shooting specialist, but he he only takes two attempts, one of two. Kyle Kuzma, 0 of one. Uh, Alex Caruso, two of four. One of those came in garbage time. Like they don't they they need like a a Bryn Forbes type, a guy who can just run out there for probably not as long uh, as the Bucks kept Forbes out last night, but you know, the, the Kyle Korver, the Channing Frye uh, guys that like guys like that, that LeBron has had that when they're on the court, he's going to find them and they're going to get good looks. And more often than not, they're going to knock them down. Like they, they just don't have anybody who can knock down an open three, you know, 70% of the time when it's wide open on the wing or where it feels like most other really good teams in the league have one or two of those guys. Yeah. I mean, they are not, I mean, they made the, the sixth fewest threes in the NBA per game this season, yeah. 11.1. It's a pretty low number in the modern NBA. Like top of the league was jazz at 17. You know, nobody in the top five is under 14. I, to me, it feels like both of these teams are due for uh, a, like a better game. Like the shooting was just right. The, the Lakers shot 43, 27, 61. Uh, and the, the sun shot 47, 32, 83. So like, both of these teams should be able to cross like it, it just based on regression, right. Or progression, mm-hmm. however you want to put it like this next game should end up like 115 to 112 or something. But yeah. Um, yeah. The Lakers. Yeah. They don't have, 
like you mentioned, I mean, like, I I probably have more faith in KCP than most people, but like, there's not too many guys like on the Lakers who, yeah, you kick out to them in the corner and it's like you're like as an opposing fan, you're like already rolling your eyes. You're like, this guy's open. Um, no, exactly. Yeah, I mean, KCP. Like it, as someone who watched this game from start to finish. I could assure you that all seven of KCP's looks were wide open. And a few of those were like big time, like, okay, if he makes this, it's a five point game. You know, we're right back in it. And they were just backbreaking bricks every single time. Um, and like, like, I don't know what the answer is. They don't have a Bryn Forbes here. Like, let's just, let's try this guy. You know, it's like, I, I guess for them, that's Ben McElmore and Jared Dudley. Uh, I don't know. I mean, maybe they dust off uh, Markeith Morris, who knows? But yeah, I, I think, and, and you made the point that I was going to bring up, which is, you know, the Lakers, I think, are due for better shooting. They're 7 of 26 as a team from three, but so are the Suns. Like, it felt like the Suns were knocking down shots, but, you know, they're only 9 of 28 from three uh, in that in that game one. And Jay Crowder, 0 of 7, all of his looks were really good. Uh, McCall Bridges hit a couple of big shots, but he was only 2 of 5 from three. Devin Booker, 3 of 7. I mean, like, all those guys are, are capable of shooting better than that. And I, I would imagine that even if Chris Paul's not at 100%, um, I, I don't, I don't really know a whole lot about what a stinger is. I feel like that's like something you hear in football. Honestly, I have no idea what's going on with that, but by all accounts, he's going to play and he's going to be pretty healthy. Like, I think you're probably going to get a better Chris Paul game tonight in game two than you did in game one by virtue of him playing like clearly hobbled for much of that second half. Like he was like borderline, couldn't even dribble with his right hand. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't expect him to be vintage Chris Paul tonight, but he's probably going to look a lot better than he did in the second half of game one. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, you you get seven points and eight assists. Uh, it's really the seven points out of Chris Paul that, yeah. you know, if you can win against the Lakers and get seven points out of him, that's great. Um, yeah, I mean, I, if he's 100 percent, yeah, the Lakers are in trouble. Like, it's just they the energy has been the main problem. You know, LeBron not looking healthy, it's just having like no interest in being aggressive offensively. Anthony Davis continuing to like rely on contested mid-range jumpers as his primary form of offense. It's just like infuriating. And it's yeah. like, it's, you know, in the bubble that worked, but again, we talked about like in the bubble, a lot of stuff worked for the heat. That's just not working right now. Yep. And like, maybe it does come down to they're super tired. I'm sure if they get destroyed in this round, that there's going to be a bunch of pieces coming out. You know, the oh, trainer yeah. said these guys, you know, shouldn't have been playing basketball at all. They need an, another two. Remember when LeBron's like, I'm not playing until Christmas or whatever. Yeah. Like it's stuff like that. Um, and it might be true. Right. But we just, we don't know. Um, yeah, no, you're a hundred percent right. I have no idea what's going to happen in game two, let alone the rest of the series. But the one prediction I will make is that if the Lakers lose game two and if they're down Oh three or three, one at some point in the series, yeah, there's going to be a, a, a full on rollout in the LA times of, uh, the excuses I, I think that are going to be at the ready. Um, and, and something that worries me with this Lakers team too, is like, if they lose game two, obviously you're going back home that provides some energy. Um, th this team just doesn't, yeah, I, I, maybe it's cause you know, they won it last year and it's just been such a weird two years. Um, they're like, like, there's just no urgency with that. Like, it's hard for me to be like, to look at this Lakers team and be like, Oh, these, these guys, they won't let themselves lose this series. It's like, I feel like they would totally let themselves lose this, <laughs> lose this series. I don't, I don't know that they would even really care all that much if they, you know, if their season ended a little bit early and they could just kind of pack it in and come back next year. They have more built-in excuses than any team in the playoffs. Yeah. So they're I not think... afraid to use them. LeBron James is not <laughs> going to be afraid to roll those out. That is, a, that is very true. Um, the one series we, we haven't really talked about is uh, Knicks-Hawks. 
which the, the main takeaway for me in game one was just how awesome that atmosphere was. Like that was the best atmosphere in any game in the last year and a half by like a million. Like there, nothing was even close. I can't even think of what would be number two. No, I don't, I don't have, I don't have a response for that, but like it, I, I, I was really intri- uh, interested in the series. I think it will be really good the whole way. I, I think the, the Hawks will end up winning, but I, you know, I wouldn't be shocked by the Knicks winning. I, I just love this. Cause it's, it's a, it's a, it's a team who makes their living on defense and just pure like grit yep. against a team that is like extremely modern fires a ton of threes has a point guard that just like is a it just can't play defense but is an insane like Trey Young 32 and 10 with two turnovers in his playoff debut against one of the best defensive teams yep. in the league in New York with the fans back it's like it's cold-blooded only took uh, three threes too I know and that's that's something we talked about earlier on this podcast it's just like he's way better at uh, like he's taking fewer threes this year but I think he's just a better player yeah, and the weapons around him, like he's so good at making the weapons around him uh, just pop. But they didn't even get a great game out of it. Like DeAndre Hunter was basically a non-factor in his 22 minutes, at least offensively. John Collins, only 12 points. Gallinari went three for 11. You know, I know there's stuff on the Knicks side too. Like Julius Randle's not probably going to go six for 23 again. I mean, that was legitimately awful. That was bad. Um, but on the other hand, they're not getting 27 points from Alec Burks again. You know, like it's, uh, there's a lot of stuff in the series that I think is is going to be fun to watch. I just, it's such a fun series. Yeah, it was a very strange game one where you have, you know, the star on one team playing, you know, one of his most memorable games of his career. I mean, he was three rebounds away from a triple-double in his first playoff game. I thought Bogdanovich was really good for them, unsurprisingly. He hit some huge shots uh, down the stretch, a couple big three-pointers. Um, and then Lou Williams in his 13 minutes, like he had a, a really nice run. At, I think it was in the third quarter maybe even early fourth where he came in and just when it seemed like the Knicks were, were starting to establish an advantage and probably not run away with it, but, but at least, you know, feel good about where they were down the stretch. Um, You know, he, he came in, gave them like seven quick points and and all of a sudden it was, you know, right back to even those three guys were, were huge. But like you said, other than that, it, it, you know, it wasn't like a dominant performance by Atlanta by any means. Um, And then on the other side, New York, I mean, Julius Randle has, a bottom three game for him all season, which, you know, still at a double, double that, that speaks more to just how good he's been all year, but they got almost nothing out of the starting lineup. You know, RJ Barrett, one of six from three, uh, he had, he had one miss that would have just absolutely taken the top off the building, a wide open corner three that, that would have put the Knicks up, I, I think like nine or 10. Um, and when, once that rimmed out, it felt like the door was kind of back open for Atlanta, but the Knicks bench was, insane in this game like I, one of the best bench performances that you're going to see um really from any team this season like 17 for Derrick Rose like you mentioned Alec Burks like that was you know probably the most memorable game of his career by a mile uh Emmanuel quickly you know had some huge shots in this game he was two of two from three so just a, a really really strange game where you know the one guy that New York has been able to depend on game in game out every single night and he was just announced as the uh most approved player winner by the way which was shocking to no one um, but Randall having that game and the Knicks still being in position to win is, is kind of crazy how it turned out, but I, I still feel like this could go six or seven. I hope it does. I just want as many games as possible in Madison square garden. So I, I will be pulling for the Knicks just so we get to see Knicks Sixers and, you know, Joel Embiid coming into the garden for at least two games in round two. I think, I think part of like the under something that's going underrated about this game is just like the lack of free throws, which is enjoyable. 
Yeah, like, you know, it was a very fast game. Yeah, when a, when a game gets bogged down by free throws, it's just awful. Like, I, I'm not opposed to slow-paced basketball, which this was. It's just when it's slow-paced and there's a ton of fouls, it's just like, it's it feels like a chore to watch. The team shot a combined 23 free throws in this game. And Trey Young had nine of the Hawks' 12. Um, so, like, kind of surprising given, like, uh, you know, the, especially the physical nature of the Knicks. But... Yeah, just a really enjoyable watch. I hope it keeps also a low turnover game, you know, 17 combined turnovers for the team. So I hope the series stays like this because it's just like it's fun basketball to watch. The atmosphere is great. This is it's just a really compelling series right now. All right, let's end on this uh, for posterity. Give me your picks for tonight's games. We'll revisit these uh, later in the week on the next pod. So we got uh, Celtics at Nets, Lakers at Suns, Mavs at Clippers. Uh, so I'm going Nets, Lakers, Clippers, um, but I actually have the least confidence in the Lakers, believe it or not. But um, for our betting article, I took Lakers, Clippers, Parlay for both to win. I think it was plus 130. I just think it's like must win for both of them. <laughs> well, who, who's in a bigger must win for? I, I think it has to be the Clippers, right? Just because like, yeah. even if the Lakers, like zooming out and, and just taking everything in totality, like Anthony Davis and, and LeBron are locked in. Uh, at least we think, um, you know, the Clippers obviously have a, a lot on the line as far as like what the future roster looks like. But at the end of the day, the Lakers can always fall back on, hey, we won the title last year. Like it's kind of a trump card, you know, whereas like it, like they could get swept by the Suns and it would be embarrassing and there'd be a lot of questions. But, you know, they could always just be like, we just won the title last year. You you really can't say all that much, whereas the Clippers have no history whatsoever to fall back on. I, I know that Paul George and Kawhi Leonard are both like also sort of hurt, like Anthony Davis and LeBron are, but it kind of just feels like they have no excuses at this point. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. like the whole, the super team thing, their roster is better than last year without question. Um, man, I mean, if they get smoked again by, by Doncic, uh, it's they're they're in trouble. They are. I, I, I think you said the Lakers are the team you have the least confidence in. I think that's right. I, I feel the same way, but I also think, I mean, the spread for that Lakers or uh, Clippers Mavs game was up to like seven and a half or maybe even eight um, yeah, earlier today. Like, I, I don't I don't think like there's a whole lot that suggests the Clippers are just going to come back and blow them out. Like I would pick the Clippers to win tonight. But I, I think the Mavs, like when you have a guy like Luka who just controls everything and can, can completely dictate the pace of an entire game, it'll probably be out there for 42 minutes. Like, I, I think the Mavs will at least be able to keep this really close. Yeah, I was fine with like the Clippers, like a bet for them to win, but like the spread, you know, seven or seven and a half based on where you look, did not like it. Little, little, it's, it's too, it's too wide. Yeah, a little bit of a lack of respect for the Mavs, who I think have played the Clippers really well. And I mean, even going back to last year, regular season, like, I mean, Kristaps Porzingis missed the latter half of that series last year, and they, they were still able to, to really make the Clippers work for that. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if Dallas internally, you know, really feels like they are the better team in this series, even though they were also kind of trying to dodge the Clippers in, in round one, um, you know, over that final week of the regular season. Like, I, I don't think any team wants to go up against, you know, wing defenders in, in George and, and Kawhi, but I don't know. I, I, the way that Dallas came out in game one, like, I don't think Luca, especially, I don't think he, you know, has any doubt that you know, they're able to win the series. I agree. I mean, Luka Doncic is, his playoff career numbers are already ridiculous yeah and it, i mean it very much passes the eye test too right but like seven playoff games he's 31 10 and 9 on 49 percent shooting 
yeah. as a 22 year old right now. I mean, it's right. I, I don't know how you stop him. I, I just, no one, I mean, the only, granted the only team he's ever played in the playoffs is the Clippers, but they, they have no answer for him. Yeah. It's, it's like usually when you look back at like career stats, like if you throw out the first two years and like the last two years, you get a better sample, but it's like, is, is Doncic just going to get better? Or is like, is, is he going <laughs> right. to go down from here? Like usually guys are, you know, or like most, most guys in their first playoffs, like ha- like 70 to 80% of those guys are like bench players or they're getting DMPs. Like if you're starting out at 31, 10 and nine, like where do you go from there? I I don't know. And the team around him isn't even that good. Yeah. <laughs> like, Absolutely crazy. And they, they might not have Kleba tonight. If, if they don't have Kleba, I think, I think the Clippers are, are able to win fairly handily. I, I still think it'll be, you know, reasonably close, but not having him to throw on one of those guys, especially Kawhi, for 30-plus minutes would be huge. Yeah, the line kind of makes it seem like the the books have a strong they, – they might know Kleba's out. Yeah. Or very much less than 100%. Yeah, I thought the same thing. All right, I'll go Nets. Uh, I, I'm going to take the Suns at home. I, okay. I like I'm it. betting against LeBron at my own peril, but I, I think there are – there's a, you know, a, a physical health – element um to lebron losing game one and and needing to bounce back that has not uh not really been a a part of you know these these last few situations where the lakers or or the Cavs or whoever it's been have found themselves down oh one like there's has there been another time where you know there's like there's been any kind of serious health question with lebron in the playoffs (laughs) well he did break his hand he did we didn't we didn't find out that till afterward Right. right Yeah. Yes, uh, that is true. <laughs> he did break his hand. That was that was one of the times they were down 0-1. Um, but no, I, I just feel like if, if there were no health questions and LeBron looked like he did in January, no question about it. You know, I, I don't think there's any panic. I think the Lakers bounce back. But with, with that being the caveat, um, I, I still have some trepidation. And I, I think I think Phoenix, you know, believes they can win this series, much like I think Dallas believes they can beat the Clippers. Um, so I'll go, I'll go Brooklyn handily, uh, Phoenix in a close one. Uh, And I'm with you. I I think the Clippers do take care of business, but I think Dallas covers tonight. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.